Hey everyone, uh, and welcome to the Thrive24 podcast. Today, we are joined by my mental health performance coach, Dan Martin. And if you would love to find Dan, just jump on Instagram and type in at Dan underscore TMP, and that's where you can find him. And let's get straight into it. I overcame, say, gambling. Yeah. I used, still used to watch videos, and I think that was my sort of like withdrawal away from it. And I haven't watched a video in maybe like two months. Right. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe it. I don't know why. For some reason yesterday, I think I was on the treadmill and I saw an advert for slots. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about it all. And I was like, I haven't even watched a video in like two months. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't gambled in like probably about a year. Mm. Um. Which is just crazy to me. Yeah. And I don't know, was that something that you see see a lot in regards to, say, when you're breaking away from an addiction? Is that people cling on to things that have part of the addiction within it, but it's, it's not them actually doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, gambling is a really interesting one because it's layered. It's very easily attainable, but it's a process addiction as opposed to a substance addiction insofar as you're just doing a behavior and that's where the pleasure is coming in and it's producing those feel-good chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and I guess for you in the past you would have actually done the behavior because it was giving you those feel-good chemicals and you were likely in a place where you didn't have many of them probably quite the opposite we're feeling sad or stressed or anxious, whatever you're feeling. So it was a lot more compelling to go and actually do gambling. But now you're likely in a place where you're not experiencing as many of those negative feelings. So the layers have come down a little bit. So there might still be some there and that's normal. But the videos were what was giving you something, however long ago it was, a couple of months ago. And now you're at a place where there's probably minimal of those negative emotions. So you don't feel compelled to go and do it. And pretty much any addiction or behavior is unconscious for the most part. If you take yourself back to that point in time when you were deep in the behavior, probably felt like you were doing it automatically most of the time. And only when you'd finished, you go, oh, shit, I've done that thing again. Does that make sense? 100%. I think, especially at the height of my addiction when it came to gambling, it was so natural to me. It was so automatic to do, to jump on my computer, to log in, to instantly deposit money. It was just normal. It was like, this happens every day. Mm. And, you know, it was only until you only realize it once, you know, I'm like four hours deep. I'm like, oh, what have I done? Mm. I'm like, I was meant to be going to bed at this time. And now it's one in the morning and I'm still gambling. Mm. Always um, chasing that win. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me to get out of it, initially i think was was the big one uh, i think it took a lot of number one living in an overdraft mm-hmm. i think was was a big part of it i also think i kind of then i was living in it like this whole big lie i was you know people my friends were even saying to me like oh, you're addicted to gambling i'm like no i'm not i'm like i can stop anytime but Deep down, I I, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. 
And I think during that time, I think the main thing that really prompted it was like, I was like, if I don't stop, mm. this is going to be the end of my life completely. Mm-hmm. My business is going to, you know, disappear. I'm not going to have any money, any good relationships. I think at that point, I just had met my ex-partner. Mm. And for me, it was like, well, this is a good thing that's came into my life and I'm going to ruin it all by gambling. Um, and I think for me, it was being honest about where I was as well at that point. You know, I've never went into a relationship and I actually said to this person at the time, I was like, my money is not great because I've had this addiction to gambling, but I'm working on it. And initially that just flipped a switch in my brain, which was like, okay, let's stop. Mm. And I think it's crazy. And I think obviously there's maybe there's people out there who, you know, are struggling with I, majority of lads are struggling with gambling addiction, you know, whether you don't want to admit it or not. How many times are you putting bets on the footy? Um, how many times are you just having, I'll, I'll just have a quick game of the slots or I'll have a bet on horse racing. And I don't think they have that sort of like relationship with themselves or say with someone else to be open and honest about it. Because once you become open and honest about it, then you kind of understand that that addiction and then you kind of just take a step away from it. And what were your thoughts on that? Hmm. I always use the um, metaphor of riding a bus when it comes to addictive behavior because everybody's going to have addictions. It's normal. And there's an argument for when a habit becomes an addiction, you know, I've still got many habits that I'm not proud of and I could do without, but they're not at a point where they're a real problem and they're impacting me anymore. But the bus analogy that I refer to is like, well, if you're going about your day and let's use gambling as an example, you can't walk past a bookies without going in and having a quick bet. Well, that's not you who's driving the bus. That's that behavior who's driving the bus and you're just a passenger and you're either right up the front and you can see what gambling is doing with its hands on the wheel or you're right up the back and it's a continuum like anything. Sometimes it's going to be a problem. Other times it's not. So that's one way to explain it. But then in different um, anonymous addiction groups, the well-known one is addiction, addiction anonymous or cocaine anonymous or Mm -hmm. sex addicts anonymous. In sex addicts anonymous, they've got this um, metaphor of using a bubble. And when someone's in an addictive process, it's very much like being inside of a bubble. You don't want to let anything come in because when you're in the process of it, it's quite a comfortable place to be inside your little bubble where you can just kind of go and indulge in your behavior. And yeah, it feels bad. You feel a bit of shame after, but it's okay because you don't let anyone know about it. Like you just said there, a lot of lads probably don't want to admit to it in the first place. So they just stay in their bubble and don't let anyone in. And that's okay because it's safe. It's like, you can just kind of chill out in their own little place. It's only when something external happens in your case it was meeting someone who you really cared for that that's a pin in the bubble and it goes pop and it goes oh shit i'm exposed <laughs> i need to do yeah. something about this now but for some people the skin of that bubble is going to be thicker than others and that yeah. comes back to this idea of who's in control of the bus that same yeah. same thickness of the skin does that make sense yeah 100 percent. i think that's what it's weird that you that you that it's put in that way 
but that complete makes a hundred percent sense. It's like when I did say meter, it was that bubble had popped, and I realized it was a point of realization. Yeah. And as you said, the it's like the thickness of the bubble. So even if someone wants to meet a particular person, they can still hide that away. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, well, how does someone who's so used to hiding or say hiding that shame, how do they get out of that? You know, to me, it's I think a big part of it for me also, in a instance, getting your help was Mm -hmm. I started to understand maybe who I was more and what I wanted more out of life and became a lot more comfortable within myself. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are not comfortable within themselves or knowing themselves and i think that is then a big part of why there is things that come into it like um gambling addiction porn addiction um alcohol addiction i think it all comes from not having maybe even that sense of purpose i think as well sense of purpose is essential for overcoming addiction absolutely essential it's very complex there's lots of different areas to explore but that purpose is the one thing that will keep you from relapsing because you know uh, probably the same as me there are countless times when I try and give up and in the moment I'd be 100% committed to giving up and though this is the time I know that I'm not going to go back to it this time in that moment and every time I genuinely at my core I believe it I really would believe it but then a day later, or two days later, I was like, oh, one more time won't hurt. Yeah, I'll just go and have one more drink, or I'll just go and get one more gram of cocaine, or whatever it might be. And then that cycle would repeat over and over again. But that's because I wasn't willing to actually confront what was driving that behavior in the first place. In society, we've typically got this approach of just change the behavior, and that changes the problem. It doesn't work like that. The behavior is being driven by something and you've got to target that something to change the behavior it's like a bottom-up approach not top down top down will result in relapse every single time because there's still something beneath the surface which is driving people into that destructive behavior they wouldn't keep going back there time and time again if there wasn't something which was being avoided beneath the surface so there's almost two options when it comes to the shame within addiction There's option one, continue living in fear of people finding out about whatever it is. And the ultimate result of that is shame. But it's a story. There's not actually anything tangible in that. The fear is something that's being manifested and created based on what people perceive others Mm -hmm. to think of them as a result of them finding out about what the behavior is. Or option two is just put your hands up and say, I surrender. I've got shit that I need to deal with here. What is it? Am I ready? And then in the process of doing that, the shame almost evaporates in itself anyway, because you're saying, all right, I accept it. I've got something to work on rather than just shielding away from it, disconnecting yourself from it and resisting the idea of confronting it. The fear of shame is worse than confronting the shame, but not a lot of people are willing to accept that. Yeah. I I, I what you said there as well is like, you know, when you've said previously, maybe that, oh, I'm going to stop doing this. And I, I, on my gambling addiction, I said it a handful of times. So I had that, you have that base motivation. You're like, you know what? This needs to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm hundred percent committed. And you do believe it. Yeah. You really do believe in yourself. That's going to change. And this is on a wider scale. 
every single client that would have came to me, mm-hmm. you know, previously in their life, it's like, oh, I've had an unbelievable amount of, mo- you know, I've tried this, you know, I was unbelievably motivated. I bought a bike. I bought uh, this as things to help them um, get out of, or sorry, change their outcome from what it's previously been, maybe getting in shape, losing weight. Mm-hmm. And, but they're not changing that deep behavior, as you're saying, they're not addressing the real deeper issues, the things that have to be dealt with mm-hmm. to, you know, get in shape, get over an, ad- an addiction. Mm. And it's like it, that fear is in place. And I think for me, I think that I didn't share much with many people about it. Mm. And it's the reason why I probably hid away from a lot of my friends saying I'm not addicted. But once I started posting about it on social media mm-hmm. and content, and even though I had people, I had a couple of people message me not so great things about it, I wasn't bothered because at least now everyone knew my story. And it was like as if a weight had just been lifted off my chest and I didn't have to deal with that sort of thing holding me down anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say, you know, if you were to be have a very simple process Mm. of how to you know kickstart your way out of an addiction mm. so what w- doesn't have to be specifically gambling but what would you say would be like three simple steps what, what anyone could implement i can almost distill it down into two really so i've actually yeah, been reflecting even better. <laughs> i've been re- i've been reflecting on this quite a lot recently so it's interesting you bring this up now but in, in its core essence the two key points to overcoming any addiction is number one radical self-acceptance because that's complex that's hard there's a lot that comes with that I mean I say that in the very succinct sentence it doesn't sound like there's a lot within that but accepting oneself is really fucking hard that's authenticity so that's understanding that you're not perfect it's recognizing that you've got flaws it's come to the realization that some people aren't gonna like you but that's okay because in doing that you release all of the shame the fear the guilt whatever other stuff that you're holding on to as a result of the past that just becomes integrated with who you are i'm sure that's easier said than done people listening to this might go oh i I accept myself it doesn't work like that there's work that needs to be done the work that you and i have done together is self-acceptance yeah every time we've gone back into the past and pinpointed and unresolved an event that's self-acceptance in the long term it's resolving whatever stuff we've got in our past that has been left unturned up until the point we're at right now so self-acceptance point one and point two is having an unwavering commitment to change your life and by that i mean finding some form of meaning and purpose meaning is the emotional and psychological meaning that we attribute to our past events so that's likely looking at those um, events that we recognize in our past which were meaningful and shaped our character in some way shape or form what is the meaning that we ascribe to those events so meanings generally looking back purpose looking forward what am i living for when I die, what do I want to be leaving behind as my legacy? What do I want to pass on to my kids as a reason for my life? Who do I want to help? What kind of lives do I want to touch? Because if you want to have a life free from 
these millions of tempting behaviors and substances that are out there nowadays, which are really hard to avoid, mm -hmm. you need to have a reason. 100%. You need to have something which is going to keep you on that path. Yeah. And that's having something that is bigger than you. You know, people like Simon Sinek, great author and great speaker, talks about finding your why. That's the why. It's purpose. It's what am I actually doing here? Am I just going to work in a nine to five passively, living paycheck to paycheck, just so I can go out on the weekend and drink, do drugs, put it in slot machines, put it on my nose, whatever it is. Is that purpose? No, that's not purpose. Purpose is touching the lives of other people because you feel like you've got something to offer them. That doesn't necessarily have to be as a coach or a therapist or um, anything like that. It's just doing something which will genuinely have an impact on people. That could be creating a clothing line. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just finding your unique talents and gifts and recognizing that they're going to change the lives of other people. Million percent. I think even in regards to that, it's like, well, what keeps you to even to that higher standard then of, you know, especially in regards to a purpose, well, what keeps you to it? Well, it's your kids. It's mm. how, you know, they view you. Mm. It's, you know, I ask myself on a, on a daily basis, deep questions, you know, um, ask myself, do I believe in myself? You know, even things such as Memento Mori, which is the, you know, obviously today could be our last day on earth. Mm. Are you happy with how things are going and what you're currently doing? And, you know, if I, if I had known all of this stuff, say, before when I maybe I was halfway through, say, my gambling addiction, and if I was to turn around and be and look at myself from an out, outer perspective, I'd maybe some more self-awareness around myself, I could look and I'd be like, is this really the life you want to be living? But when, when you're so stuck, when you're so stuck in you said, that bubble, you really, that, these things don't, these just bounce off the bubble. You don't know, you, you know, you can't even think of these sort of deep questions, sort of, sorry, sort of deep questions. Mm. And I think that for a lot of people, as you said, it's finding number one, who you are, you know, being comfortable with yourself. And then the second point of, you know, finding a reason why is, is mm. huge. You know, the difference you want to make, the reason why I make this podcast, you know, why is it? It's to be able to help other people, is to help pass on our knowledge to others who need who need it because I wish I had listened to a podcast like this will be when I was struggling with addiction or when I was struggling with not being able to say fully accept myself and mm. understand who I was. And mm. I think that it all links in, you know, the things that you're saying there about addiction then links into, I think, well, how people then reach their potential. I think it, all those things are like, it's all like one big circle of, mm. you know, if you can, to get out of addiction, well, if you accept oneself, well, what comes with then if you accept in oneself is then you find and maybe that purpose, what happens and then find that purpose is then you reaching your potential and it all just links and links. And I think, as I said, people are so stuck in that initial phase, that initial bubble is that they just need to find that person, I think that can really help guide them. A mentor, I think is key in that regards. Yeah. Um. I think having mentors has massively helped me on my journey. Mm. Um, without having mentors from business mentors to even yourself, Dan, you know, I don't think I would, I wouldn't, wouldn't be where I am right now, which is in a really positive and happy place. Yeah, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. I wouldn't be where I am had I not had 
the friends, therapists, coaches, and mentors to help me as well. And it's important to have that conversation with yourself as regards to who you are surrounding yourself with, because that bubble, which we've mentioned, doesn't necessarily just contain you. That could, could contain you and the people who are encouraging you whether conscious or unconscious to do whatever the behavior is that you know deep down you don't want to be doing and part of my journey of overcoming my primarily cocaine addiction but other addictions as well was recognizing that the people who I was hanging around with were fueling it mm. but <laughs> challenge there was they were people who I'd grown up with and there was a resistance within me to cut them off as friends because I was under the illusion that they were really close and there's a part of me which did love them you know we had some really great memories as we were growing up but the point of growing up and arguably becoming a man mm. is that you need to act consciously and make decisions out of king i.e decisions that value your own life above all else and that's inherently selfish in a way but it's coming from a place of self-love and self-acceptance and that for me meant distancing myself from the people who I was doing cocaine with and that was difficult it was a challenging thing to do and it's realistically taken about three years from that point to arrive at a place where I've got a circle of friends who are all on the same path more or more or less mm -hmm. and we encourage each other to grow and better ourselves and it's a small circle that I've got now it's a lot smaller than I had when I was going out and doing cocaine and drinking but I'm okay with that I'd rather have a small circle of people who encourage me and um, challenge me to become better than I would people who yeah, it's fun to go out with and we have a laugh and play, but we're not going anywhere. We're going around in circles. Do you do you feel, Dan, that, say, that circle that you weren't once a part of? And I think yeah. I think a lot of lads can relate to that because let's get one thing straight. We've all got mates from school, all the mates that we've grew up with, the circle that we were in. With Do you think they, they that then people actually genuinely care about you. The, the reason why I, I say this, because it's a difficult one. I know something that I talked to you about really recently was about deeper connections with people. Mm. And if you're in a circle of, you know, you say your friends that you've been growing up with 10 plus years, maybe more for a lot mm. of people. Well, what is it that, you know... So do they genuinely care about you because they're fueling negative things because they're fueling you going out, getting drunk, you going out, getting, you know, absolutely bladdered to where you can't even see straight. They're getting, they're getting you on drugs. They're getting you into gambling. You know, let's get one thing state, even in regards to my friends from my old school, when I was gambling, everyone else was gambling too. Mm -hmm. So do they genuinely care about you? Because, how I now see how I genuinely care about other people is I would try my best to keep them held to high standards, even if they don't want me to. I'm trying my best. Mm. It's an interesting point. 
some yes, some no. Next week, one of the people who comes to mind on the conversation that we're having here, I'm actually going to his stag do next week. And in that stag do is going to be several of the people who I used to go out and do cocaine with. And those people, I do truly believe that they care. It's just our values don't align anymore. Purely mm. and simply. I think there's just a conflict of values in that case. And previously, play fun would have been quite high up my list of core values, whereas now it's growth and authenticity. And for me to hang around with them, there'd be a conflict for authenticity. And authenticity is my absolute number one core value. So it just didn't work. Hence why I had to kind of branch away and separate myself. We're still friends. We still connect, but just not in the same way that we did. We don't bond over beers and cocaine anymore. Yeah. We connect it's, when there's an event. The change of values. The change um, of values. Yeah. But yeah. I think th- this will be a point for another time, but I think it's really weird how, well, how have your values changed and theirs haven't when realistically you both came from the similar position because when it comes to that in, in that regard, you've all got, um, you know, you've all done the same things growing up for X amount of years. Well, how have your values changed and they haven't? Mm. I think yeah. that's a good good point. That's something we can have a have a chat over in the future. Definitely. Um, Definitely. But I wanted to go over something more about myself, and hopefully, I don't cry on this podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, what is it when I? So I came to you at a really dark part of my life. You know, I split up with my partner. Um, my nana, jo- oh, a couple of weeks later after I joined, she had, she had passed. And um, business also wasn't really great. A lot of things were going wrong for me. Mm. What do you think at the time when I joined? From your own opinion, what was the things that you thought that I had to deal with? You know, the one thing that jumped out to me the most above all else is, fuck me, this guy's got a lot of anger. I saw a lot of tense energy that was stored within you to the point where a few of our earlier sessions, there was about half an hour, 45 minutes of you just offloading. And that's what was required. It was just stuff that needed to come out. It's just venting, purging of frustration and anger that was point number one but point number two it speaks to the notion of self-acceptance you came to me and tmp with a primary goal of learning how to be more vulnerable and within that comes an objective of learning how to accept yourself so there was a misunderstanding within yourself, I think, of what your values were, which makes it inherently difficult to accept yourself if you don't know what your values are. But in your case, you wouldn't have been able to know what your values are because there was all this anger and frustration, which was keeping all that stuff locked away. I don't know if you'd agree with that. No, I'd agree with that because, as you said, the first few sessions were just me ranting. Um. But at the same time, and you start to find out maybe more than I was passionate about as well. I think, um, I think there was a big buildup of anger because I had felt, I don't know, I felt when I had joined that 
a lot of stuff, no matter how hard I was trying and how much I was giving, I was getting nothing reciprocated in any area. And that built up so much anger in me. And I think that anger then actually then took away from what it is that I wanted to um, achieve. And then that was an extra ba- extra barrier put in place. Mm. I think, you know, with everything going on as well at that time, I think I was, ju- I just wanted the, to become, you know, I think we talked about it, especially say, for example, in my past relationship was that I wasn't vulnerable. I wasn't open. I wasn't my authentic self. And doing that is not easy, but I think I've got a hell of a lot better at it. It never gets any easier, by the way. No. Despite me saying that my number one core value is authenticity, it is, and it always will be, but there's not a day goes by where there's not something which kind of hits me at a vulnerable point, because to be authentic is to be open and expose all of your most vulnerable parts and that's difficult because Mm. when things get to you they really get to you because they're getting to the core of your being rather than being deflected off a shield or a suit of armor that you're wearing when you're kind of putting something up instead of just you it's a difficult place it's a hard kind of existence but i'm making it out to be really negative here it's not it's so fulfilling because when you connect with people, you're really connecting and it gives you a very unique feeling of, for me, joy, satisfaction, and like I said, fulfillment. And you don't get that unless you have full self-acceptance and an authentic presentation of self. I think that them feelings as well, when you do get that point where you do feel fulfilled, it's an unbelievable feeling. You know, I had, I took a client on um, the other day for a gym session Mm. and, you know, just being able to not make up any white lies Mm. and just talk to that client, just be, you know, just my fully myself with that client. I came home in the car and I was buzzing. I thought to myself, wow, I was like, I feel amazing. You know, I didn't have to lie. I could just be myself. I could just, you know, there wasn't anything I had to hide behind, no excuses, no anything, just me. And that feeling is by far the best feeling I think that anyone can ever feel. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people haven't even touched the surface on that feeling. Um, You know, when you can wake up every day and be like, you know, not every day is going to be a day where you feel fulfilled. Mm. But the, the times in the day when you do, you do cherish them a lot. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think on my journey so far, I think I've still got a lot of work to do, and I know that. But I've just became so much more comfortable in I think one of the biggest things that we talked about was that for me is I used to do things subconsciously to get people to return things. Or I used to do things and then subconsciously expect them to do something back in return for me. And you know, why do you think that is the reason why I've done that in the first place? What do you think? Well, because you were operating from a place of feeling unappreciated. Yeah. And the unconscious mind is a bit of a trickster, really. It will do things 
to try and resolve what its operating system is telling it to do. So in your case, operating system was operating from a belief of I am unappreciated. So unconsciously, you'll go out of your way to do things for other people with an agenda of if I do this, that will make them do something for me and that will then make me feel appreciated. We live in a cause and effect universe, or at least most people are operating from a cause and effect universe, i.e. if I do this, that will happen. And it's often an unconscious process, like it was for you. Yeah. I think, I think just being able to, you know, for example, spend time alone, I think it was a big one for me. And to, to not do things, you know, do things for myself, I think was a big one first initially. And from the books that you've sent me, the big things I took from it was like, look after my needs always first, make sure I'm that first person that's always looked after. And then I found that then I stopped doing things in expectance of other people, uh, expectance from the same from other people or anything from other people. Even though, you know, I think that it, there is levels to where it is amazing for it to have someone in your life that will, you know, go out with the way for you. I think that is extremely important still. But doing things without any sort of incentive it just gives you a feeling like, you know, I've done things recently to, to um, where I've helped other people and not had any sort of goal or incentive behind it. And it feels nice. It feels really good to know that I can give something back to the world, good to the world, and, you know, not expect anything in return. Mm. It's a really good feeling. But, you know, e even in regards to, you know, as I said, I think you should obviously still have people in your life that will go out of their way for you. What do you think on that? Do you think that that plays a big part too? Do you think everyone needs someone like that? I don't think that everybody needs someone like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an essential because if you're operating from a place of always needing someone to do something nice for you, that implies that there's something inherently missing within yourself and that can create a feeling of just not feeling enough mm -hmm. in some way of course it's lovely to have people around who do selfless things for you like my girlfriend beth she's incredible she does so many kind things for me she is honestly the kindest person i've ever met in my life i find it quite overwhelming at times because i'm just not used to it yeah. I've never had someone around who can behave in that way. And it's lovely. It absolutely makes me feel incredible. She'll, but... she'll love this podcast. <laughs> she will. She will. Yeah. But I, I, I could say that it's essential now, but that's only because I've experienced it. Before yeah. meeting Beth, I didn't know that that's something that which would make such a profound yeah. difference to my life. Mm -hmm. And before meeting her, I had thankfully arrived at a place where I was at peace within myself for the most part. Like you said, yeah. there's still work to be done. I still do therapy at least once a month because there are always going to be things which come up. Yeah. If not, just check in in the same way that you'll have clients who reach their fitness goals and they just want you there to hold them accountable to stay there. That's what I want from my therapist. That's something which I consider to be essential. Those monthly check-ins to just maintain and make sure that we're in a good place. Like you and I are doing at TMP now. It's exactly the same. That, having that check-in to make sure that you're staying on the right path, moving in the right direction is essential. But to answer your question, I don't think it's 
I don't think it's essential. And if there are people out there who are um, looking outside of themselves to find that person, then it's an opportunity to look within themselves and ask, what are you hoping to to obtain mm-hmm. by having that person in your life? I, I think when it comes to it, I think when you've fully accepted yourself, that sort of person does eventually walk into your life as well. Yeah, I think that person... I think that also then facilitates your growth a hell of a lot more. Yeah. I think, you know, like, for example, in your case, I bet you feel not just more of a desire or purpose, but mm-hmm. you also feel like it's just helped with your growth too in how you're, in how you're getting on and how you're doing. Yeah. I think in general, I think as I still have a lot, as, as we both know, to work on. Mm-hmm. What would you say are, you know, three quick points on things that you think that personally, in your opinion, I have to work on now going forward? Hard question. (laughs) Without having my notes in front of me. Let me think. Well, one of the indirect things that we were working on as a secondary gain to the work that we were doing was understanding what direction you're heading in with your business mm-hmm. and i think that that's still kind of evolving 100%. and that's still becoming clear as the days go on so mm-hmm. continuing to work on that because that's your meaning and that's your purpose yeah. and i'll tell you what that has been one of the i think the trip at that so when you you got me basically to go to marbella we had we had talked about talked about it and you kind of just forced my hand which was good but I think that really opened my mind to exactly what I wanted and I think that that I found my sense of purpose out there in my time alone and it takes me back to a point that I read in the book of no one missed a nice guy where it said take time away from everything go you know abroad or go on a trip on your own spend some time alone and, you know, I was there for a month and it wasn't until maybe about, this, you know, the third weekend that everything just started clicking. I think we had our call out there and all of a sudden I was like, I want to change this. I want to change that. And I felt all of a sudden as if the months and months of me feeling just awful had just disappeared. And I just found this real like wow moment where I was like, yes, I can't wait to get home and do this. I can't wait to change this. By the th- end of the third week, I wanted to go home. I was like, I just want to get on my computer, get on both screens and just start whacking out load of work. And I've never felt so motivated. And I think that just a point to end on, I think would be, I think a lot of people don't have, because they don't maybe know their purpose and they're just living every day as it comes. I think doing little things like taking time away on your own. I don't think a lot of, lot of men know how to actually live on their own. They don't know how to perform on their own. They don't know how to be lonely. They don't know how to sit on their own for hours without, you know, either messaging someone on the phone or whether it be ringing their partner or they've always got the kids around or something. They can't do anything on their own anymore. And I think that they've got to really then, I think a good thing to do is to maybe like take a trip or take time out, you know, every so often. Something that I say to my clients, you know, take at least one day a month of where you tell your partner, you tell your kids, you tell everyone that you're just going away. Mm. and I think that helps really build up a it gives you a time sorry to where you can then 
have a deeper dive into what your purpose is and how you feel about things, I think, as well. Yeah. On that, not everybody's going to have the capability to go away, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I use the example that I say to my client is once a month, he normally goes and does like a hike around the country. Fine. Yeah. But, but just by himself. Yeah. What you're describing there is just being with yourself and a lot of people don't want to do that. I know that I certainly didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be with my own thoughts at one point, hence why I was smoking weed or drinking or whatever, because it it muffled those thoughts and it made them less intense and the emotional charge that was within them didn't affect me as much. But just notice what you're thinking about in the first instance. You don't necessarily have to go and be with yourself straight away, but just slow down and notice what you're thinking about like if you were to scan back over the past three days and there was a theme in your thoughts what would that theme be is it dissatisfaction is it boredom is it joy is it love or lack of love these are all themes write it down yeah it's the first step to just getting to know yourself there's been a theme of this conversation really Getting to know yourself is at the core of any type of growth. I think it always comes down to us, like the self-awareness. Yeah. I think once you can start to master the skill of self-awareness in regards to literally every area, whether it be getting in shape, whether it be, you know, um, mindset mastery, anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's If you can be self-aware, you can take yourself away from the emotion and you start to understand what's going on. For sure, bro. Yeah. Um, 